Most of the subjects I cover have to do with the United Methodist Church or the Global Methodist Church, conflict between those bodies or within those bodies, sometimes Methodism, Wesleyanism more broadly. But I think it's good to talk about broader issues because, of course, we fit within a much broader context of American public life and the Church Catholic, not the Roman Catholic Church, but the Church Catholic, the universal church which Christ has established on earth until he comes again to reign. There are some topics that affect all churches trying to do ministry in America today, and each local church is just staying afloat in it. And so I wanted to start by uh, pointing you to a tweet by, uh, he's not a friend, Stephen Fife, but he and I share a similar worldview. And he tweeted the other day, you ever wonder why people like Trump, Peterson, Carlson, and Tate can capture young, angry, and mostly agnostic audiences, and the church has largely failed? I do. Why has the church failed to connect? And then um, he has a video, oh, it was right above that. This is at a Star Wars church in Colorado. Is it cool or absolutely cringe? He says, uh, why the church is failing here. And this is footage, of course, of um, <laughs> a church. This is a church, supposedly, where they are. Uh, what does Star Wars have to do with Jesus? Can you tell me? I have no idea. But you walk into this, this church community that's supposedly oriented towards Christ, and you got the Millennium Falcon and all this Star Wars-themed stuff. Um, give me a break. What's this for? Um, so he is, is reckoning with this question that a lot of churches are, which is how do we reach the present age? Obviously, something has gone wrong. So we're going to be looking at an article today written by this guy, Jake Meter, and I, I really don't know much about him. He's supposedly from Nebraska. He has something against Christian nationalists. That's a conversation I've only skirted. Um, I'm sorry, I'm not showing you his, his uh, profile. So this is him, and I think he's an Anglican. Um, he, he mentions some people in his... Con I only went down a little bit in his uh, feed, so hopefully he's okay with me covering his article. I just found it really instructive as uh, wrestling with this question of what exactly has happened in the American church. We are in constant decline. It's not just Methodism. It's, it's almost every, almost every uh, American religious Christian group. So the only exceptions I know of are uh, the Roman Catholic Church, last I checked, is holding steady, but that seems to be because of Hispanic influx of Im immigrants. Uh, you have the Eastern Orthodox Church, which seems to be growing, and then you have uh, the Reformed tradition, uh, far right, uh, often equated with Christian nationalism, uh, complementarian, very kind of the anti-Wesleyan in some ways. They seem to be doing okay. Why is it that? Oh, and the the charismatic movement in America, Pentecostalism, seems to be doing okay at home and abroad. So the problem, there are different problems with each of these traditions. Why is it that Methodism and Wesleyanism and, and broadly Protestantism seems to be struggling so bad? Protestantism outside of Reformed tradition, which is highly uh, dogmatic and strict and uh, patriarchal in some ways. And I don't mean to convey that I have a problem with Reformed Christianity. Uh, as a Wesleyan, I actually think that, that, that Wesleyanism and Reformed Christianity have things to teach each other, and that a synthesis of the two, as impossible as that sounds, um, is is required for authentic uh, walking 
living in the world biblically. But then Pentecostalism, you know, they also have a corrective to Wesleyanism. I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm about the church Catholic, as I already said, and I think these have to be integrated. So is there anything that we can be reflecting on as, as we go into trying to figure out what has gone wrong in the Christian West or the formerly Christian West? I grew up during the worship wars in which the, the line of argument was from the baby boomers, hey, if we're going to reach this generation, we've got to change our music, change our aesthetic. I, uh, after that, it was uh, attractional church model that, that, hey, let's get rid of all this symbolism that people don't understand in the worship space. Let's get rid of all the, uh, the words people don't understand. Let's make it as easy and accessible as possible. You dove headlong into doing everything short of sinning to reach people for Christ, dove headlong into um, making worship an evangelistic event, uh, appealing to neophytes and lowest common denominator, uh, getting rid of the meat for the sake of putting milk in place for everybody to drink on their own terms. And if you don't understand that metaphor, it's because you're not reading your Bible enough. Um, so let's go ahead and read this. This article is entitled... The Misunderstood Reason Millions of Americans Stopped Going to Church. And the subtitle, The Defining Problem Driving People Out is Just How American Life Works in the 21st Century. All right, so let's get into it. Nearly everyone I grew up with in my childhood church in Lincoln, Nebraska, is no longer Christian. That's not unusual. 40 million Americans have stopped attending church in the past 25 years. That's something like 12% of the population, and it represents the largest concentrated change in church attendance in American history. As a Christian, I feel this shift acutely. My wife and I wonder whether the institutions and communities that have helped preserve us and our own faith will still exist for our four children, let alone whatever grandkids we might one day have. So at the outset, he's substantiating the problem. We're not looking at a gradual shift in American public life. We're looking at a, a staggering very quick shift in American public life where the church is no longer even ostensibly a majority movement in America, but it's on a steep decline replaced with what? That's not really what this article is concerned with. We're just looking at why, what is, what is causing this massive lack, uh, decline in social capital in um, the church. So let's, let's get back into it. Um, this Change is also bad news for America as a whole. Participation in a religious community generally correlates with better health outcomes and longer life, higher financial generosity, and more stable families, all of which are desperately needed in a nation with rising rates of loneliness, mental illness, and alcohol and drug dependency. So you'll see those words of all the ways in which it helps people are underlined. That means they have links that you can click on and he substantiates. So these are things that we know that church helps out with, generally uh, across people groups, and it, they directly answer problems that our society is experiencing. As you see this massive abandoning of churches, you see the rise of these problems, it's almost like there's a causative relationship between these things. But even so, people seem to be dissatisfied with what the church has to offer at this point. It's just not a satisfactory answer. 
A new book written by Jim Davis, a pastor at an evangelical church in Orlando, and Michael Graham, a writer with the Gospel Coalition, draws on surveys of more than 7,000 Americans by the political scientists Ryan Burge and Paul Juppe, attempting to explain why people have left churches or, quote, de-churched, end quote, in the book's, uh, book's lingo, and what, if anything, can be done to get some people to come back. The book raises an intriguing possibility. What if the problem isn't that churches are asking too much of their members, but that they aren't asking nearly enough? So coming back to the traditions that are uh, still thriving, or at least not declining in America, once upon a time, the Southern Baptist Church was the big Protestant outlier. No, the SBC is on, on the decline as well. When you look at what's maintaining, Reformed, Pentecostal, Eastern Orthodox, these are the ones growing. They all advocate a sold-out way of life, a new, different lifestyle that revolves around Christ Jesus that doesn't really conform to the world around them. Gee, do you think there's something there? Back to the article. A great de-churching finds that religious abuse and more general moral corruption in churches have driven people away. This is, of course, an indictment of the failures of many leaders who did not address abuse in their church. But Davis and Graham also find that a much larger share of those who have left church have done so for more banal reasons. The book suggests that the defining problem driving out most people who leave is just how American life works in the 21st century. Contemporary America simply isn't set up to promote mutuality, care, or common life. Rather, it is designed to maximize individual accomplishment as defined by professional and financial success. Such a system leaves precious little time or energy for forms of community that don't contribute to one's own professional life, or as one ages, the professional prospects of one's children. Workism reigns in America, and because of it, community in America, religious community included, is a math problem that doesn't add up. So this this church, this uh, book that he's summarizing for us and doing analysis, he acknowledges there are some reasons that the church does deserve to have lost influence, religious abuse, moral corruption. These things are substantiated and real, and it's it's inexcusable. But even so, when you're looking really at why people aren't attending, I mean, that's 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 a factor, but the biggest factor is cultural shifts in American public life that don't have room for a communal identity. Rather, uh, he doesn't use the word, I would say, hyper-individualism, this notion that my life is about me. I, I, I have not been bought at a price. My life is not about others. My life is about me. And workism, you, you would see that, that that word is underlined as well. That's the belief, generally, that, that work provides meaning. So for believers, uh, Christian believers, the only thing that gives your life meaning is the meaning giver. God. And so the, the, the good life is lived in right relationship with God and others and self, and that's, that's something that the Christian faith offers. But uh, right under our noses, American believers got um, co-opted by this worldly ideology of workism, which I would say is undergirded by materialism, the notion that happiness corresponds with how much stuff you have, and the, the rat race of life trying to accumulate stuff um, and so there is this uh, degradation of shared communal relationships that require sacrifice, that require putting others first, especially our children. It's had huge social ramifications. He's saying that, that this cultural shift that focuses more on the 
self and less on the community, especially a community that requires sacrifice, has made it so that that church involvement is just silly. It, it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't serve the goals that individuals have, at least not directly. They don't see how it serves. So, um, well, let, let's read a bit more, and then I might have more to say. So, um, oh yeah, I should go ahead and acknowledge this was published by The Atlantic Magazine. We should give credit where it's due. <clears throat> All right. Numerous victims of abuse in church environments can identify a moment when they lost the ability to believe when they felt they almost felt that their faith was draining out of them. The book shows, though, that for most Americans who were once a part of churches but have since left, the process of leaving was gradual, and in many cases they didn't realize it was even happening until it already had. It's less like jumping off a cliff and more like driving down a slope, eventually realizing that you can no longer see the place you started from. So as a pastor, I see this happen all the time. There are people who are not in the core of the church, active, but they show up to worship every now and again. And there are seasons of life where they're more active, and then there are seasons of life where you don't even see them. They're just, it, they, their life is, has changed. Now, sometimes they come back and they, they resume their kind of middle-of-the-road, milquetoast stance, but eventually, for a, a lot of them, they just they go away and they just don't even come back. So it happens all the time. Consider one of, this is the article, consider one of the composite characters that Graham and Davis use in the book to describe a typical evangelical de-churcher. A 30-something woman who grew up in a suburban megachurch, was heavily, heavily invested in a campus ministry while in college, then after graduating moved into a full-time job and began attending a young adults group in a local church. In her 20s, she meets a guy who is less religiously engaged, they get married, and at some point early in their marriage, after their first or second child is born, they stop going to church. Maybe the baby isn't sleeping well, and when Sunday morning comes around, it's simply easier to stay home and catch up, or catch whatever sleep is available as the baby finally falls asleep. In other cases, a person might be entering mid-career, working a high-stress job requiring a 60- or 70-hour work week. Add to that 15 hours of commute time, and suddenly something like two-thirds of their waking hours in the week are already accounted for. And so when a friend invites them to a Sunday morning brunch, they probably want to go to church, but they also want to see that friend because they haven't been able to see them for months. And the friend wins out. You see this all the time as a pastor of a church, people making worship the plan B. If something fun comes along, if there's a sporting event to go to, or a friend that needs to hang out, or families in town, then church takes a backseat. It's not the first priority. And so that exposes a, a poor ecclesiology on the part of individual church members. They have learned that the church is always going to be there for them. They need to take these other opportunities while they're there. They don't understand the church to be their spiritual family, their haven from an unholy world. They understand the church, if anything, a lot of people see it as they need me, not I need them. So they, I would say that that exposes that people are not at war spiritually with the world that they're in, but they're comfortable in the world they're in, and they like the world they're in. They don't need a break from the world they're in. In fact, they want to engage it more, and church is taking away from that. So that's, that's a fundamental issue there that is undergirding this, I would say. After a few, this is back to the article, after a few weeks of either scenario, the thought of going to church on Sunday carries a certain mental burden with it. You might want to go, but you also dread the inevitable questions about where you've been. 
I skipped church to go to brunch with a friend, or I was just too tired to come, don't sound like convincing excuses as you rehearse the conversation in your mind. Soon it actually sounds like it'd be harder to attend than to skip, even if some part of you still wants to go. The underlying challenge for many is that their lives are stretched like a rubber band about to snap, and church attendance ends up feeling like an item on a checklist that's already too long. So this this ex- this is very normal for people, and this didn't used to be an issue, and it's because once upon a time people weren't stretched too thin. So it bears asking that question, why are people stretched too thin? And the answer is because we're filling our lives up with crap that's not important. So a, a very worthy question to my mind is how much time are individuals spending on their phones every day? How much time are they spending uh, watching TV, scrolling through social media? These are things that really don't add anything to our lives, and yet the average American, to my knowledge, is spending about four hours a day on it. And that that fills up time that is would otherwise go to bonding with people, self-improvement, participating in society. There's been a, a marked decline in social capital. This is something that was first noted by Robert Putnam in his Bowling Alone book in the 1990s, and it's been going on ever since, and people are not sobering up to the reality that workism or um, uh, obsession with creature comforts and entertainment and leisure, that those things are making it so that we can't do the more important things in life. And instead, people are crowding out the most important thing in life. And the, the shameful thing is a lot of pastors are letting them do it without even saying anything. A lot of people in churches aren't even saying anything. And some churches are saying, well, we'll make church more worldly. You love Star Wars? Come in. We can have some Star Wars time. What can churches do in such a context, says the article? In theory, the Christian church should be an antidote to all that. What is more needed in our time than a community marked by sincere love? Oh, wait. What is more needed in our time than a community marked by sincere love, sharing what they have from each according to their ability to each according to their need, eating together regularly, generously serving neighbors, and living lives of quiet virtue and prayer? A healthy church can be a safety net in the harsh American economy by offering its members material assistance in times of need, meals after a baby is born, money for rent after a layoff. Perhaps more important, it reminds people that their identity is not in their job or how much money they make. They are children of God, loved and protected and infinitely valuable. But a vibrant, life-giving church requires more, not less, time and energy from its members. It asks people to prioritize one another over our career, to prioritize prayer and time reading scripture over accomplishment. This may seem like a tough sell in an era of de-churching. If people are already leaving, especially if they're leaving because they feel too busy and burned out to attend church regularly, why would they want to be part of a church that asks so much of them? So the notion here being that we are on a, a marketing uh, consumer mentality, you know, we are participating in in the marketplace, a capitalist marketplace. You have these people that you want to show up, you want to participate, you want to give money. How can we augment what we're doing so that they find us a more attractive option and they want to be here? Well, if you make it harder, is that going to make it easier for people to participate? Are more people going to be drawn to that? It seems pretty self-evidently no. 
And so let's make it easier. Let's lower the standards. Let's make it less confrontational with the world. Let's let's stop saying so many things that offend or cause people to feel uncomfortable. Um, I just had somebody, uh, well, no, I don't need to tell that story. But yeah, people regularly refuse the church if it offers a challenging, uncomfortable message or, or requires things of them, puts them in a position to to make a decision, to step up. And so a lot of churches have said, well, we won't do that. We'll have a very low bar, a very low standard. We'll get a lot of money, and we'll just use that money to provide these consumer experiences for these consumer Christians. Back to the article. Although understandable, this isn't quite the right question. And in case I, uh, the question was, why would they want to be part of a church that asks so much of them? He's saying that's not the right question. The problem in front of us is not that we have a healthy, sustainable society that doesn't have room for church. The problem is that many Americans have adopted a way of life that has left us lonely, anxious, and uncertain of how to live in community with other people. And if you haven't seen those stats, we live in a terrible time in America, not materially. Oh my, we have all these uh, material blessings. But emotionally, when you look at rates of anxiety and depression, mental illness, isolation, loneliness, uh, things have never been higher in America. And I'm not speaking hyperbolically. There has never been a time like this in American public life. People generally are more miserable than they have ever been. And we're including times without modern hygiene and air conditioning. Back to the article, the tragedy of American churches is that they have been so caught up in this same world that we now find they have nothing to offer these suffering people that can't be more easily found somewhere else. American churches have too often been content to function as a kind of vaguely spiritual NGO, an organization of detached individuals who meet together for religious services that inspire them, provide practical life advice, or offer positive emotional experiences. Too often it has not been a community that through its preaching and living bears witness to another way to live. So this is self-evidently true in America, uh, or in Oklahoma, one of the biggest churches that disaffiliated recently, I, I've been seeing on Facebook, had a Wizard of Oz play that it's making a, a big deal around everything. Um, this is one of the things that Jake Meader pass, posted on uh, Twitter. It's at, um, I think this was at Saddleback Church. Yeah, they did a, a, a Toy Story-themed presentation at their church. What on earth does Toy Story have to do with Jesus? And the, the answer is self-evidently nothing. One of, a fellow preacher that's no longer with the United Methodist Church, he left, taught me the quote, he got it from someone else, what you win them with is what you win them to. And I would also say what you keep people with is what you keep people to. And if it's anything other than Christ and him crucified, then I'm not sure, well, I am sure, you don't have a church there. You have a bunch of people that say Jesus' name and say they love him, but increasingly people don't know him because they don't read their Bibles. Worship isn't about understanding the Bible. What is it about, he said in the article? It's about uh, they're, they're a vaguely spiritual, non-governmental organization, uh, an organization detached individuals who meet together for religious services that inspire them. They provide practical life advice or offer positive emotional experiences. That is not what Christ died to form. And if you don't know that, you need to hear it right now. The church is not an organization concerned primarily with affirming you or making you feel good. It's an organization designed to save you 
uh, as, as you walk with Christ Jesus. And sometimes, if you're making a lot of bad decisions, or if your life is steeped in sin, it's going to feel bad to participate in the, the church, because you're supposed to feel bad. Sin is bad for you. Let's get back to the article. The theologian Stanley Hauerwas, he's a Methodist, uh, by the way, captured the problem well when he said that, quote, pastoral care has become obsessed with the personal wounds of people in advanced industrial societies who have discovered that their lives lack meaning, end quote. The difficulty is that many of the wounds and aches provoked by our current order aren't of a sort that can be managed or life hacked away. They are resolved only by changing one's life, by becoming a radically different sort of person belonging to a radically different sort of community. So if I put this in my own words, there are certain eternal problems that plague all humans, regardless of where we live or what culture we're within, uh, fear of death, What's the purpose of my life? How can I be in right relationship with God and others? These are things that the human psyche is innately drawn to, that Christianity alone has the right answers to. And I know that's a bold claim, but if that's not a claim we're willing to make, what is the purpose of the church? We have the answer, and the world is, is increasingly unwilling to hear that answer. Why? Because Satan is powerful, because we love our sin, because we don't want to do hard things. When you have a consumer culture, as America has been for a long time, we are obsessed with getting more for less. And whenever people tell you that you can have a happy life and not go through the whole uh, process of mortifying your flesh and hating your sin and dying to self and living for Christ, that you can do it at a lesser cost, an easier cost, they're going to follow that. But when they follow that, they're going to find it lacking. And because you said Jesus' name all the way along, they're going to say that the church was lacking or that the Christian faith is lacking. Meanwhile, you have all these new fads that take, you know, social media was supposed to solve all kinds of connection problems. Right now, the main thing I see taken off is mushrooms, psychedelics, um, um, people having these experiences on mushrooms that supposedly end addiction issues or loneliness issues, antisocial issues. There is no point where we seem to get where we realize something I put into my body, a quick fix, just isn't going to do it. Uh, as Jordan Peterson says, be wary of unearned wisdom. Uh, and yet we want to imagine that we can ingest wisdom, we can take a pill, uh, we, can, we can do a, a short-term treatment, and it will solve everything, and we don't have to have this lifelong pursuit of Christian wisdom through humility and self-denial. And what we continually find generation after generation is we're increasingly miserable as we look to anything else other than Jesus to fill that God-shaped hole in our hearts. We don't learn. We just keep trying new stuff rather than going back to what works. Back to the article. Last fall, I spent several days in New York City, during which time I visited a home owned by a group of pacifist Christians that lives from a common purse, meaning the members do not have privately held property but share their property and money. Their simple life and shared finances allowed their schedules to be more flexible, making it for a thicker immediate community and a great generosity to neighbors, as well as a richer life of prayer and private devotion to God, all supported by a deep commitment to their church. If you haven't read your Bible, you don't know that this pretty directly maps on to language used to describe the church in Acts chapters 4 and 2. Um, I, I'm very interested. I need to click on that link here in a bit and learn more about that community because that sounds pretty cool. Back to the article. This is admittedly an extreme example, but this community was thriving. 
Not because it found ways to scale down what it asked of its members, but because it found a way to scale up what they provided to one another. Their way of living frees them from the treadmill of workism. Work in this community is judged not by the money it generates, but by the people it serves. In a workist culture that believes dignity is grounded in accomplishment, simply reclaiming this alternative form of dignity becomes a radical act. And dignity is a, a key word here. What I would know about American public life right now is a, a, a lack of concern for dignity. Back during the, uh, the Great Depression in America, tons of people were poor, and yet there was a dignity in their poverty. Not that it was dignified to be poor, but that you could lack material wealth and still live in dignity and self-respect, be respected by your by we we have changed that in America where to be poor is undignified and indeed there's a cultural expectation that if you are poor you should not act in a dignified way and what the church teaches is that all of us are made in God's image and given innate dignity which is supposed to be mirrored in our lives so when you have a culture that's not even concerned with dignity or that scoffs at dignity then that is a recipe for our own misery because that's one of the heart's hungerings is to be to live with dignity. Back to the article. In the Gospels, Jesus tells first his, his first disciples to leave their old way of life behind, going so far as abandoning their plow or fishing nets where they are, and if necessary, even leaving behind their parents. A church that doesn't expect at least this much from one another isn't really a church in the way Jesus spoke about it. <laughs> wow, what a quote. If Graham and Davis are right, it also is likely a church that won't survive the challenges facing us today. So that, that's quite a statement. Yeah, when Jesus talks about the cost of discipleship, he sets a very high bar. Who are we to lower that bar and teach people that, that they're going to be okay on, on the day of judgment? So we have no right to lower that bar. Rather, churches need to be places where we are collectively empowering individuals to make such decisions so that when they do, the ramifications are not uh, destructive to them and their households. Back to the article. The great de-churching could be the beginning of a new moment for churches, a moment marked less by aspiration to respectability and success, with less focus on individuals aligning themselves with American values and assumptions. We could be a witness to another way of life outside conventionally American measures of success. Churches could model better, truer sorts of communities, ones in which the hungry are fed, the weak are lifted up, and the proud are cast down. Such communities might not have the money, success, and influence that many American churches have so often pursued in recent years, but if such communities look less like those churches, they might also look more like the sorts of communities Jesus expected his followers to create. So to give credit to Jake Medor, he is the editor-in-chief of, of Mere Orthodoxy. He is the author of What Are Christians For? Life Together at the End of the World. Now, there are ways in which meter obviously represents a, a strand of Christianity that not all American Christians would agree with. He seems to be sympathetic with pacifism and um, um, in, intentional community, uh, communist, commu uh, not communism, communal living. That's not something that I notice uh, Reformed or um, uh, Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox people talking about for lay people, advocating for lay people. It's not something Pentecostalism is associated with. Even so, 
uh, it does reflect what we find in the Bible, and it's worth considering are there alternative models of living together, alternative models of... It seems pretty clear that the model of church from the 20th century is not going to last much longer. It's, it's a skin-deep tradition that just doesn't offer much... Uh, not material... Uh, he's not talking about offering material benefits. He's talking about spiritual, practical, doing life together... And modern churches don't offer that. They're, they're concerned with respectability and American social sense. They're concerned with comfort and uh, easy beliefism. And that's just not going to maintain. There's, society is no longer revolving around the church, turning to the church. Uh, in thinking about this, I'm, I'm thinking of the Benedict Option by the guy whose name I can never remember. But he says, the, you can't reverse this trend. That, that what's being exposed is that in American public life, a lot of people were not dyed-in-the-wool Christians. They were just culturally Christian. There hasn't been this distinction between born-again Christianity and cultural Christianity, and they're not the same thing even though they both use the name Jesus. And so what's dying is cultural Christianity. What's going to remain is born-again Christianity, and that's not to say... You know, a lot of times people associate born-again Christians with, you know, holy rollers and the Pentecostal tradition. We're just talking about people who have forsaken themselves. They know that their lives are about God and others first. They know that, that Christianity demands a high price. It's costly grace. This is something that in every generation of the church there have been reformers saying we have to make Christianity what it was designed to be rather than what we want to domesticate it to be. So the domesticated Christians, they're, they're falling away because they were never in it for the right reasons. What's going to be left is a righteous remnant, and that's exciting. But I think what we're going to be finding and what Meter seems to be saying, and I, I concur 100%, is it's going to be uh, a costly grace, high-demand uh, community that that lives and does life together is mutually vulnerable, practices accountability, and what do you know? Methodism is all about that. That's the reason I'm a Methodist. I believe that Methodism, of all the Christian strands, offers the best form and power of righteousness. And so I'm a part of a movement of, of, of Christian believers, Methodist believers today, saying we need to reclaim what they had in the Methodist revival because only that can beat back the gates of hell as they're advancing against America. So if you don't know what Methodism is, I would urge you to research John and Charles Wesley and the early Methodist revival in Great Britain. I would urge you to look at its implications for uh, the American colonies in the first century of America as we became a nation. I, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that only Methodists are Christians. I think lots of traditions have a lot to offer. I'm not casting aspersions at any of the groups that I mentioned today, but when we're looking at how to uh, safeguard the church. I mean, God safeguards his church, but how do we faithfully participate in the church? We're not called to give up on it, so how do we participate now? I think Meter is saying, I'm saying, we have to make church the center, the social center of our lives, such that we're sacrificing everything. Are you willing to sacrifice a job to be a faithful member of your church? Are you willing to sacrifice some of your friendships to be a part of the church? Are you willing to give up on dysfunctional family members that keep you from holiness in order to grow closer to Christ? Are you willing to sacrifice everything to deny yourself daily, take up your cross, and follow Jesus? That's the standard. So I hope this has been helpful to you. I appreciate you walking through this and, and reflecting on things with me. Let's continue to pray for our nation. And my prayer in response to all this is that each community might have at least one true church for people to turn to, 
despite all these church buildings and church communities, the gospel is in rare supply nowadays. So let's pray for these larger churches that seem to be on this consumerist model to learn to repent and to offer the gospel. Amen? I'll see you later.